Well, happy Father's Day, everybody. And glad you made it. <laughs> um, my name is Bobby Lemons. I'm one of the elders here at the church. I am one of the oldest elders, but I'm not the most articulate elder. So when Tony first talked about doing this one sermon, if you had to do one sermon in a meeting one time, you know, my first instinct was to say, okay, I want to go last, put it off as long as possible, you know, because I don't like standing up in front of people and talking that much because I get nervous. But I found out after about, am I too loud? <laughs> after about 34 years of marriage, if you put something off long enough, you may not have to do it. And if I get lucky, Lisa will do it. So, Lisa, you want to come on up? <laughs> okay. But, like I said, I thought about that at first. That was the first instinct was to put it off as long as possible. But then I started really thinking. I kind of drowned Tony out. I wasn't even listening to him because he was still talking. And I started thinking, what's the best way for me to do this? What's my strategy here? So I thought, well, if I go first, you know, because I know these other elders will do a good job because they're used to speaking, and I know they'll do a good job. And I don't want one of them to be in front of me to be the next Billy Graham or John Piper, then you get me, you know, so I was like, okay, I'll go first. I'll volunteer to go first. I don't know if they thought I was just anxious to do it or what, but it was completely selfish reasons I did it, okay? So, but I didn't get to go first, just for various reasons, you know, the church was being built and different things, but in the back of my mind, I think the elders got together and said, we can't let Bob go first, because if he goes first, if everybody thinks it's going to be that bad, <laughs> nobody's going to show up next five weeks, right? So... But I'm just kidding about that. But So I'll just tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I was born and raised here in Jefferson County. Uh, my dad was from here, so, but my mom's from Pennsylvania, so I am half Yankee. So if uh, my northern accent bothers you, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know. So uh, they were both in the Army. And they met in Japan, and then they moved back here to Jefferson County, like I said, and raised five kids, and I'm the fourth of five kids. I got two brothers, two sisters, and when we were kids, we didn't go to church a lot. We went some, and I guess Mom tried to get us to church a lot more than what I can remember because I was pretty young because she basically had to do it by herself, you know, get five kids ready to go to church a lot. And, uh, you know, I went to Sunday school, and I you know, learned most of the children's lessons that you'd learn, you know. Adam and Eve, Dave and Goliath, you know, stuff like that. A few vacation Bible schools, you know, but nothing, I wouldn't say I grew up in church, you know what I mean? So, well, one night there was a revival. Mom took us to a revival, and, and I get all emotional if I start getting nervous, too, so excuse me if I do. But went to a revival, and, uh, of course, I thought it was boring to go to a big church, I guess what you call it, you know. But the preacher said something about guilt, and for some reason, it sparked my interest, you know. And I was just 10 years old. And, you know, I look at a 10-year-old now, and I think, well, they got to feel guilty about. But when I look back at me being 10, I thought, well, I probably had a lot to be guilty about, you know. So I really wanted to go up at the end of the service where he asked, you know, altar call. But I didn't because I didn't really know if I should. So I asked my mom if I should go up. And she said, no, okay, tomorrow night you can go up. So I did. And... Uh, so the preacher, you know, asked me the simple questions, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he died on the cross, raised again on the third day? And I was like, yeah, I believe that, because that's kind of, you know, what I've been taught. And uh, they said, if you'll say this prayer, I guess it's a sinner's prayer. 
and believe it in your heart, you'll be saved, right? So I said the prayer, and he said, did you believe it in your heart? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess, you know. I was 10 years old. I'm not sure what that really meant. But, you know, if you'd asked me that I believe in Bigfoot and aliens and stuff like that, I would have said, yeah, too. So anyway, so I don't know if I was saved that day or not. I, I really don't know. I, I just can't tell you if I was or not, you know. But I had to go to like a, I guess I was baptized that Sunday. And then like a first, not first time Christian, new Christian class, a new Christian class. And, you know, he said, okay, now that you're a Christian, you have to read your Bible every day, pray every day, and some other stuff. And I guess I thought, well, that means I've got to do more to be a Christian, you know. So that's kind of the way I took it at 10. I know what he was trying to say, that that helps your life, you know, your Christian life, your Christian walk, if you do that stuff. But I guess I didn't catch that at the time. So, uh, you know, so I thought, okay, I can do this. I can be a good guy. I can do whatever, you know. But I remember the first time I was tempted to do something that I knew I shouldn't do. You know, I did it, and I was waiting for the lightning strike, but, you know, it never came. And then I did it again, and it wasn't as bad. And, and then I got to where it was just a common thing, you know, and I was just doing what I wanted to do. You know, I was 15, 16, 17 years old, and, you know, time went, I was 10 when that happened, so mom had went to work full-time, and I had a lot of freedom on my hands, and that's never good for a teenage boy, you know. So uh, the culture was teaching me things. I didn't have a spiritual leader in the family at all. So, you know, the culture was teaching me a lot of stuff. You know, I'm watching TV shows a lot, like MASH or All in the Family. You know, and it's always the Christian was the bigot, the, you know, the racist, the hypocrite. So I started thinking, you know, yeah, all these people that go to church are hypocrites, you know. And think of things, you know, like... Marriage was nothing. You know, if you get married, you don't have to get you don't have to get married. You can live with somebody. It's no big deal, you know. And just different things that culture would teach you, you know. And you know, there was phrases going around. This was in the 70s, of course, and it was like, if it feels good, do it. Be your own man, you know. Don't let nobody tell you what to do. So, you know, you try to be I'm trying to be independent, trying to be my own man, you know. And that's what the culture was teaching me, which, you know, it's never a good thing. So but God would always come up in conversations with people, you know. It was always like God was always still drawing me, drawing me, you know. And there's a few examples I got. When I was a freshman in high school, this girl died suddenly. And I, didn't, I knew her all through elementary school, but I didn't know her in high school, middle school, because I guess I thought she wasn't cool or something. I don't know why I didn't hang out with her or anything. But anyway, I had to go to her funeral. And I can remember the preacher talking about that she was involved in church and, you know, she knew Jesus and... I had had plenty of conversations with her about her salvation, and she was going to be in heaven. You know, her family was here again. And I thought, well, that's good. That's nice for Angela. You know, I was really, okay, that's cool. And a few years later, I was uh, mowing a yard. I was mowing a cemetery for this guy. And uh, this one boy called me up and said, let's go do something. And I said, well, i got to finish mowing this cemetery. He said, well, I'll come and help you. Then we can get out of there and get it going, you know. So he came over. And I knew he was an atheist from what my brothers told me because he was older than me. He hung out with my brothers more than me, but I don't know why he wanted to come get me. But anyway, he said, so we, I guess God came up because we was in the cemetery or because we was at a church. I don't know why it came up. And I said, I can't believe you don't believe in God. That's the craziest thing I ever heard of, you know. He says, well, you believe the Bible, right? And I said, yeah. He said, you believe in God? Yeah. 
He says, doesn't the Bible tell you a certain way to live and stuff? And I was like, yeah. He said, well, you don't live it. Why are you any different than I am? You know, and I was like, I couldn't say anything, you know. And I think about that still today. I think about that conversation a lot, you know. Then there was a few more years. One of these boys in my neighborhood and a family friend, they got killed in a car wreck. And I remember going to that funeral and the contrast between Angela's funeral and this funeral. You know, the preacher basically said these guys are probably going to go to hell unless they made some kind of last-minute confession or something, you know. And he said, all you guys that run around with them to do the same thing, you're all going to go to hell too if you don't change, you know. And I was like, man, that's crazy. I really never heard that before, you know. So my brother, the one that talked me into doing all kinds of crazy stuff, Growing up, get your ear pierced, let your hair grow long, you know, same guy. Talked me into going to a Bible study. Well, I went to this Bible study, you know, and the first time, the Bible came alive to me, you know. It, when, when I would read about Jesus talking, it's like he was talking directly to me, you know. Then I started, you know, reading verses like this, like Romans 2.13, for it is not the doers, not the hearers of the law who are justified, but the doers. In Revelations 3.16, you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, and I'll spew you out of my mouth. Matthew 10.38, let's say, whosoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So things like that, just, you know, it's just like a crossroads in my life. And just about two weeks ago, I heard this story that reminded me so much of me while I was studying all this or thinking about all this. That reminded me so much of me being in this situation was, it's a story about Alexander the Great. One of his conquests, there was a battle, and this young man, during the battle, ran off, you know, in a cowardly act, just ran during the battle. So after the battle, some soldiers had caught the boy and brought him to Alexander to bring him in to see what Alexander would have to say to him. And uh, they brought him in, and Alexander the Great said, what is your name, young man? And he said, Alexander. So Alexander the Great thought for a minute. He said, you've got two choices, either change your conduct or change your name. You know, and that really struck me when I'm thinking about this in my life at that point, you know, that I had to do something. So I rededicated my life. And again, was that when I got saved or was it when I was 10 years old? I don't know. You know, I know I'm saved, but I don't know when actually true faith came into play, right? So that's why this is the verse that I want to use, what we're going to talk about today a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or iniquity. Now, right, there's two things in this, this I would like to look at really close. Is, uh, anytime in the Hebrew language, some of you went to Carson Newman, you probably know this, but in the Hebrew language, whenever you said something twice, like here was saying, Lord, Lord, when Jesus would use it, like truly, truly, it's something emphasizing something, you know. Because everything he said was true, but every once in a while he'd say truly, truly, and it's so it's emphasizing something. And then the seraphim, 
and the throne, and God always saying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. It's emphasizing the holiness of God. That's three times emphasizing, okay? But whenever you address someone with a double, it's a personal, intimate relationship you have with this person, right? Like um, Abraham was going to kill Isaac, and God came to him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Moses going to the burning bush, you know, Moses, Moses. David, when uh, Absalom was killed, his son, you know, he said, Absalom, Absalom, my son Absalom. So it's a, you know, intimate relationship. And, and then Jesus used it a lot. Jesus used it, I guess it's used about 13 times in the Bible, something like that. But Jesus, you know, with Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, you know, Satan will sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you. And then Martha, you know, Mary was at his feet, and Martha was running around working, and, you know, Martha was starting to complain. He's like, Martha, Martha. And then Paul, on the road to Damascus, you know, Simon, not Simon, but I've lost my train. Saul, <laughs> Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Jesus on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, so it's an intimate, personal relationship. So these people thought they had a relationship with God, but he said, I never knew you, you know, so, and not that it, and he didn't say, well, I remember when you were in Bible school 10 years ago, 20 years ago, whatever, and you came, but you fell away, that's not what he's saying, he said, I never knew you, you know, they never were a part of the kingdom, they never did get true salvation, you know, so, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, trying to, you know, witness to them and stuff. And I would say 90% of the people that you ask would say the same thing to this question. This is something I would always ask somebody. If you were to stand before God right now, and he was to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? So I want you to think about that for a little bit. What would you say to God if he said, why should I let you into my heaven, okay? Like I said, 90% of the people probably answer exactly the same way. If you go out, I've like I said, I've talked to a lot of people. I've looked at a lot of studies, you know, and that's just the way it is, I guess. Okay, so what is saving faith? You know, what, what's the difference between just what someone would think is faith and saving faith? Well, the Reformers, back when the Reformation started, they, came with, they had a phrase that said, by faith alone. Well, Rome had a problem with that. They didn't like that phrase for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons they didn't like it was because they thought it was a casual faith that someone could say, yeah, I believe that, I believe that. So the reformers wanted to clarify what they meant by saving faith, right? So they came with three elements that would be considered saving faith, okay? One of them was the notes or the information. You had to have the information. You can't be saved unless you have some sort of information. What is the information? There were an unjust people we have to stand before a holy God one day. And that he, then God condescended to send his son to die for us. And our sins were imputed or transferred to Jesus. He became sin for us, whoever believes in him. And God's wrath was poured out on Jesus instead of on us. And then, not only that, but he lived a perfect life. And his righteousness was, poor, was imputed or transferred to us so we can stand before a holy God, so we can be counted righteous before God. And, uh, and his resurrection was a validation 
that God accepted the sacrifice that he had, you know? So that was the validation of it. So you have to have the information, but you don't have to have that much information. I mean, the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. The thief on the cross, you know, said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So, I mean, you don't have to have, you don't have to be a theologian to have the, enough information, but you have to have some information. And then you have to assent or agree to this information. Is the second element. Like you can hear the information and just deny it. Say, no, I don't, believe the, I don't believe that. But if you do hear the information and you say, okay, I believe that, is that enough to, have, enough to save you? Well, James would say no, and the, and the Reformers would say no. And this is the same verse John used last week. I thought he was going to steal my thunder. But John 2, 19, you believe in one God, you do well. But even the demons believe Okay, so James would just say you if you have the first two elements, that just qualifies you to be a demon. Okay, so you have to have more than that. And the third element is trust, reliance, and again, what John said, love or compassion for God. You have to have that. Okay, the demons believe, but they don't have a compassion. They'll never trust Christ. Okay, so that's what you have to have to have Satan faith. And I'm just adding this because it hit me. But and he and God wants people to serve Him. Okay, when Moses went to to Pharaoh and said, "Let my people come out so they can serve me," you know, it's not just to go hang out with Him. You know, and and as uh, Haley said last week, He's a jealous God. He wants all of you. You know, I know we don't none of us serve Him perfectly, and we all fail, but. He wants us, you know, that's what he wants. He wants us all. And this is just something that somebody, when I was looking this three elements up, somebody put this, and it's better than what I could say it, I guess, so I'm going to read this. This is the work that can only be accomplished by the Holy Spirit. Only through, the, only through who has, uh, only those who have been born again from above can move beyond Intellectual assent to trusting in Christ. Okay? So that's... So, the question I asked you earlier, if you stood before God, what would you say? You know? 90% of the people, what they would say, and I, like I said, in my experience, is, well, I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to do this. I've tried to do that. My dad was a deacon. My grandparents were missionaries. So... I don't know what your answer was, but if your answer was something like that, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean people answer that way. It's not saved. They just don't know what they believe. They really don't understand what they believe. You know what I'm saying? Or they have bad theology. You know, some people think they're going to lose their salvation every time they turn around. So they just might have bad theology, or they're, or they're not believers. So I just want to ask you, do you, have, do you know that you have saving faith? Can you be 100% sure if you died right now, would you go to heaven? You can, the Bible says you can be sure. 1 John, 1 John 5.13 says, I have written these things that you may know you have eternal life. Philippians 2.12 says, Work out your salvation with trembling and fear. That doesn't mean you're making yourself more saved or anything. That means make sure you're saved. You know, don't take somebody's word for it when you just 
10 years old that said, oh, you said that prayer, so you're saved. You know, I ran around my whole life before, and maybe I was. Again, I know God's going to finish what he started, okay? So he might have been calling me out the whole time, but I'm just saying, just because somebody tells you you've been saved don't mean that you are. You know, make sure, study the Bible. Make sure what people are telling you is true, you know. I've had grandparents tell me things that when I started studying the Bible weren't even true. They weren't trying to steer me wrong, but they had heard it from somebody, and somebody else has heard it. Just make sure you have it right in your head. And that's what I, if I had the one thing to preach on, and that would be it. That I, was, I, I get so nervous about my family members that I, that I think they think they have eternal life, and they don't. You know, I know I got nieces and nephews that if I ask them today, do they believe in Jesus? They'd say, oh, yeah, I believe that. You know, I, I got baptized when I was whatever. But, you know, you witness to them. And you go through the whole process of everything Jesus did, and they're, and they're just, you know, big-eyed, and they're like, oh, yeah, really, really, really? And then you say, is there any reason you wouldn't accept Christ as your Savior? And they'd go, oh, I did that. They don't even know nothing about it, you know? So if I had one thing to say, that would be it. I know <laughs> Chris is not going to like it, but <laughs> I don't really have anything else to say, so I'm just going to pray. Lord, just help us today, Lord, to, to know that we have eternal life, Lord, just to seek you and not rely on our own wisdom, to let the Holy Spirit guide us and teach us what, what we should know, Lord. I just pray for the people that maybe be out there or somewhere that don't know or just not, don't know what they believe, that they would get into the Word and study and figure it out for themselves so they can know for sure that they have eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.